Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a Fremantle Australia podcast recorded at the Sydney studios. And a warning... This podcast contains adult themes and explicit language. So tell me, tell me, tell me. I need to know. How did it happen? What did you do? Oh, tell me, tell me. Got all forever to tell you this. I just need to know. My name is Julia Robson. I'm a private investigator, and you're listening to Chasing Charlie. As a quick recap from the first episode, this is where we're at. In the December of 2011, Vivian, a once confident single woman in her 50s, had come to see me, a private investigator who specialises in online crime. She'd met a man through a dating site who had completely flooded her with text messages, luring her into the belief that he was a millionaire and they would build a life together. A future filled with travel, with time in France, which was a place she loved, with financial stability, and with spicy sex. Charlie was domineering and controlling, and soon had Vivian bowing to his every whim, and provided her little in return. She had been thoroughly groomed and had quickly become submissive to him, not a place she'd found herself in before. She gave him huge amounts of money, believing he was investing it for her and their future together. And while they both had initially enjoyed BDSM and sexual roleplay, this had spiralled downwards into areas Vivian was no longer comfortable with. Charlie's demands for money escalated as he set challenge after challenge for her to deliver large sums of cash. By the time I met Vivian, their relationship had been going on for three months. In this short time... She was broken, her confidence lost, resolve questioned, and all her bank accounts dry. So it was this this master and slave thing. You never use the word slave, but that's how I was treated. I could not get out of it. I was emotionally overwhelmed by this guy. I just had to do whatever he told me. And most of the things he asked for were not likely to be possible, as in get me 5000 by by midnight. Where am I going to get $5,000? I ended up getting a $20,000 credit card limit. I got that increased. I got another one for five. I went and got all the redraw out of my mortgage that I'd spent years paying off, going without scrimping and scraping to help pay my mortgage off. I got all that redrawn. I remember crying into the phone to the bank managers. I can't believe I put up with that. I look back now and I think, what on earth was I thinking? How could I possibly have let... One person dominate me to this extent where I had no brain, no thoughts, no nothing. Everything he said was like a challenge. You can't do it. And I'd read later 
they often target someone who's of intelligence and who relishes the challenge, that's me. I love it when someone says, I bet you can't do such and such. That'll make me say, yes, I can. Comment setting challenges isn't something I'd come across before, but this was Charlie's way of targeting Vivian specifically. He knew she would respond to them. To Vivian, being with Charlie was like having a gambling addiction. She knew it may not pay off, but she'd already invested so much, both financially and emotionally, she felt she had to keep pursuing the jackpot of a happy relationship rather than walk away with nothing. But he built this this trust, this this only you and I together, this this world of him being my protector. and, And I still don't understand how it ever happened considering the frame of my knowledge in before in the months building up to meeting him because I was constantly going out with men. I met so many men. Most of them were just, as I call it, two dates, first and last. Because <laughs> most of them, there was no mental connection. There was no... It was important to me. They were just nice people, just looking for a fun time. I wanted more than a fun time. I wanted someone I could talk to, who challenge my mind, and challenge me. And he did challenge me in the, the most negative way and the wrong way in a controlling sort of way I still can't believe it's even happened I feel like I'm talking about another person I let him totally consume me and just look back now I think I hope no one ever ever is in the same situation by now I had heard enough from Vivian to have formed a pretty good idea that there had been and probably still were several others in exactly the same situation as her Charlie was in his 50s and had got Vivian snared quickly and completely. It was unlikely that this was his first time. Being a good investigator is something that you just can't study for. Even if you have an extensive police training and have done all the courses, there's a special skill you have to have as a person. Maybe it's even something you're born with. (sighs) I don't know. It's about being able to ask the right questions and look for the right answers and don't take anything on face value. So constantly checking, cross-referencing, asking open-ended questions. Never just accepting someone's answer or something you found online. You need to ask where they got the information. A good investigator won't just trust a website. They'll say, okay, when was that website created? Who owns that website? I've been a private investigator for 15 years, and before that I was a police officer, but I think this line of work has probably always been in my blood. So when I was eight years old, and this is going to sound really weird, but I loved looking in rubbish bins. And when I was in the city with my mum one time, I looked in the bin and I found a wallet, and it had a woman's ID in there. When I rang her up, she was so grateful I found it. She came around to my house and she bought me a little basket full of potpourri. And it was at that moment that I realised if I kept solving these little cases, if I kept looking in places people hadn't looked, then I'd be rewarded with gifts. I've always tried to do the right thing and I've always been curious. There were several things that had made me believe Vivian was telling me the truth. She could provide me with the bank statements showing the large amount of cash withdrawals. I could see clearly the excessive amount of text messages exchanged between the two at all times of the day and night. And I could also see her looking at me, a broken woman, clearly someone that was in a terrible situation. But even so, 
there were a few basic questions I needed to ask her. Okay, so you're at the stage now that you're nearing the end of your relationship. Did you ever ask for your money back? Um, I did once. We'll sort that out later. It's coming. It's still invested. He gave me a couple of excuses, which I doubted at the time, but I didn't have anything else to go on. What else could I do? When an individual's lost money, either through broken promises of repayment or a scam, the priority, of course, is to get the money back or at least recover whatever you can. In the state of Victoria, lodging a civil claim is relatively straightforward. But to even start this process, Vivian was missing some vital information. She didn't know Charlie's address, she'd never been to his house, and she was starting to suspect he wasn't being entirely honest about who he was. To understand why Vivian was so limited in detail when it came to her boyfriend of three months, let's just really make sure we fully understand the true sense of the relationship she had with him. Like how many dates they went on, for example. We didn't go on any dates. We never went anywhere other than the supermarket. And we went to two swingers' nights. Did you have any non-sexual dates? Other than going to the supermarket, no. We didn't go anywhere. We never went to the movies. We never went for a drive. We didn't go for a picnic. I suggested those sort of things all the time. And he said, why bother? I'm happy here. How long would he stay with you? Three or four hours. Sometimes six, sometimes two. But never overnight? Never. Not once. Not once. Um, I never knew where he slept. I never knew how he got there. I couldn't wait downstairs to see him arrive. So I don't know how he arrived. I don't know if he came in a taxi. I had that guy who was going to wait outside my apartment and follow him, but that didn't happen. Charlie had told Vivian that his name was Charlie Giltrap, part of the wealthy New Zealand family, the Giltraps family famed for their multi-generational motor vehicle businesses and headed up by Sir Colin Giltrap. Yet, somehow I very much doubted this. How would you describe his looks? Weather-worn, old, um, either been in the sun too much, muscular, um, fairly thin, um, had an olive skin, so he tanned well. Very ordinary features. He didn't dress well. He could have been not quite homeless, but he looked as though he didn't have any money at all. Um, His hair was receding. His teeth weren't very good. Did he have teeth? Front teeth? Yeah, he looked like he had normal teeth. I wouldn't know. He never kissed me. Never kissed you? No. No. He'd give me a peck on the cheek, but he would never kiss me. He would never cuddle. He wouldn't put his arm around me. He didn't like affection whatsoever. The closest we ever got was him penetrating me from behind and doing three thrusts and that was it. That's all we ever did. He liked to step back and it was just all this control thing. So there was no affection whatsoever. We never kissed, never cuddled, nothing. Wouldn't even hold my hand, nothing. Wow. I have never ever been in a relationship like this and never ever will. And I would be the first one to say, well, how stupid is she? She almost got what she deserved because she was so dumb. How could she be so silly to believe all that? (laughs) And yet it's happened to me. Was the money he was asking you for to invest? That's all it was for. He was going to take it off and invest it. He was going to drive to his contact where he invests it and hand the money over. And every time I asked for it back or where is it, it's still invested. The person who needed it, it was being loaned to, needed an extension and needed it longer. That's why it hasn't come back. 
And I still to this day will never ever understand how it happened, how I let some man control me that much. So tell me about this punishment versus reward. Well, there wasn't really any reward. Reward was him not being angry. There wasn't any reward. It was all a lot of punishment. The punishment was being whipped with his belt on my bottom. Some days I couldn't sit down. Some days it was bleeding. Once I had to go to hospital, it was... There was never any, any reward. Did he get any enjoyment out of that? He didn't seem to. He didn't smile. He didn't. He was. He was a quiet, sullen, introverted sort of person. He never chatted much. We'd spend the whole night, two or three hours, just sitting there with him rolling his bloody cigarettes, me making him endless triple shot coffees, and feeding him his family. It was just a warped relationship. There was no. There was no talking. There was no companionship. There was no friendship. There was. There was nothing. It was all about what next challenge he had for me. And there was no kindness whatsoever or no love or no interest in my life. I was still going to work in the early stages in the first probably six weeks until I got my long service leave organised. I go to work on cloud nine. I used to feel wonderful, this new man in my life. Fantastic, we're going to go overseas, we're going to do this. I had visions of resigning and telling my boss what to do with their job. Everybody's dream, um, but didn't happen. Talking of things that didn't happen, by now I had an even stronger suspicion that Charlie being born into the Giltrap family was one of them. According to Charlie, he had only been in Melbourne for two months before putting his ad on Craigslist. He had recently returned from Europe where he had spent six months staying at his apartment, overseeing the development blocks he claimed to have in Paris and Thebes and in Nice. He also had property in London, New York and a beachfront apartment in Glenelg, South Australia, or so he claimed, not to mention the additional extensive property in New Zealand. Generally speaking, the wealthier a person is, the easier it is to locate them. Sure, you may not be able to locate them in the physical sense that enables you to speak to them face-to-face, but their wealth would typically leave a significant paper trail in assets, company structures, and an online footprint that would allow you to obtain some kind of postal address and verify who they are. Now, the Giltrap family is wealthy and appropriately well-documented. And as soon as I started looking into Charlie being a member of that family, I said, this guy doesn't exist online. And that doesn't happen in this day and age. Everyone has some kind of digital footprint, particularly someone who is meant to be so wealthy with all these properties everywhere. And he's a wheeler dealer and a businessman. People like that exist. And there was just nothing about him. So I said, okay, right, well... He's obviously not telling the truth about who he is. So he's using an alias. But what's his real name? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I had made some calls and established once and for all that Charlie was not part of the wealthy New Zealand family, the Giltraps. Now what I needed to do to track him down and help Vivian try and recover her $70,000 was to find a current address for whoever this man really was and verify his true identity. Sometimes a case comes along that draws you in with everything you have, and this was starting to feel like one of those. I was itching to get started. Every investigator has their own way of approaching a new case. I need a clean workspace. I like everything in place. If there's rubbish in the bin, it will need to be cleaned out before I can get started. An empty desk and clean office helps me to focus. So my office is spotless. I'll take out a new notepad. As much as I love the computer, I also like to write things down. So I'll list all the information that's available to me, the key parts of the story that I can actually try and verify. Once that's mapped out, I shift to the computer. I have multiple screens set up. I'll have hundreds of emails in my inbox. So it's organized chaos in terms of my digital workspace, but in terms of my physical workspace, I like a quiet room. So I also listen to that ASMR stuff, you know, that tapping where they tap bottles and things like that on YouTube. Sounds ridiculous, but it does help me focus. I needed to get as much information as I could from Vivian. Sometimes it's the smallest thing that someone has let slip that can turn into a huge lead. Tell me about the late night phone calls. He had two mobiles. He was on the phone constantly. Texting, 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 texting. He didn't, he rarely ever took any phone calls. Um, I overheard one phone call which sounded like exactly what he said. He said it was with his daughter and his daughter was having problems with her boyfriend. He actually sounded like a caring father. That only happened once. He always said the phone calls were from Geneva. Geneva? And Geneva is Switzerland where money's different to anywhere else in the world. So that seemed plausible that he was dealing with his contacts over there. He tried to portray the, his business as being slightly less than honest, as in he deals, he loans large amounts of money and small amounts of money to people who may not have a perfect credit history, who may be doing illegal activities. He portrayed himself as being almost a, a small bank to people who can't get funds. And the trade-off for him is he gets incredibly high returns and that's how he made his millions, mm-hmm. supposedly. But he mentioned Geneva a few times. He said, I just have to answer this. It's, it's from Geneva. It's from my contact over there. And now he could have been talking to Donald Duck for all I know. He's just texting away. I had no idea. He had two phones. And they were constantly bipping hours on him. And when I wasn't with him, the SMSs would be non-stop. I'd ignored my friends, my family, my work, everything. I just turned into this robot just sitting there all day answering his texts. That's all I did. We text hundreds of times a day. It would have been two, three, five hundred texts a day. 
I counted once. It was just obsessive. And I, my phone bill was 3400 odd the first month. There was no long phone calls on STD or mobile. There was no unlimited plans back then. Every dollar was, was for taxes. It was constant, non-stop. I almost lost my job at work for texting. All I did was text all day. Despite all the messages, there was nothing in them that was going to help me work out who this man really was. Vivian and I spoke at length about any other possible clues that could help us. There did seem to be a reoccurring theme around water and a love of the sea. All his emails had some relationship with the sea. It was either Popeye something or other, Blue Seas, Seven Seas, it's all about water. He told me he had a yacht in France. But again, none of this led anywhere and it certainly wasn't enough to confirm who he was. In today's digital age, it's literally child's play to make up an email address or an online dating profile. And in many cases, it can be really difficult to spot a fake. But there are a couple of things you can do. Usually the profile will be brand new. The other person will encourage you to move off the dating platform as soon as possible. They may say they are based overseas. It'll be very difficult to identify any digital footprint. They'll be reluctant to meet in person. There may be requests for money. Any of these things are red flags. I'll just say quickly here that if you do think the person you're chatting to may not be all they say they are, there are some important things you can do to protect yourself. First up, listen to your gut. People are usually very instinctive, but because they're emotionally invested, they'll usually go with their heart and take a gamble. Try not to, at least until you're sure. Anything to do with money should always be considered a business transaction and therefore you must exercise due diligence. It's not enough to trust a person just because you love them or you think you love them or want them to love you. Please don't send any money to any love interest you haven't met in person and always keep records of any transactions you do make. If you're worried, talk to someone you trust. They may see something you haven't. And if you can verify someone's identity, do. It's always best to capture details about a person before they have a chance to ghost you. And Charlie, well, online at least, he'd left very few immediate clues as to who he really was. What I needed was something concrete. Something not in the cloud, but tangible. I needed an address. Vivian and I came up with a plan. She would arrange a meeting with Charlie in a public place and try to sort out some kind of payment plan to recover her money. My surveillance agent would be monitoring the meeting at a discreet distance and would continue to observe Charlie's movements until he returned to his home address. This was a relatively risky move to use on a conman, who according to Vivian may now be suspicious his game was up. We agreed she would contact me in the new year, once a time for the meeting had been arranged. So we pencilled in a possible date of January the 4th, 2012. As the allotted day drew closer and closer, I was busy waiting for my phone to ring. It didn't. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was the 24th of February 2012 before I heard from Vivian again. The date penciled in for our supposed surveillance operation had long passed and a new workload of cases was mounting on my desk as corporate clients returned from their summer holidays. When I answered Vivian's phone call, I hardly recognised her. Her voice was shaky, quiet, and she was clearly in distress. Something terrible had happened. She explained Charlie had messaged her earlier in the month wanting to come over, Although he said it would be a chance for them to catch up having not seen each other since Christmas Eve, Vivian knew the reality was he needed more Valium and expected her to get it for him. She had hesitantly agreed to help. I knew I had to get my money back. I knew this wasn't a good idea, but deep down I actually missed him. I find it hard to believe now, but I did. And I thought I could reason with him. I just wanted my money back. And I thought perhaps if, maybe if he was feeling romantic, maybe if he missed me, He might have his guard down and might be able to cooperate with me. I might be able to talk him into giving some money back. I was desperate. I was financially in an absolute mess. When Charlie arrived, he wasn't feeling romantic. He was sexually aroused and wanted to role play. But Vivian wasn't interested in sex that night. She was nervous thinking about how she could ask him to enter into a payment arrangement. Being intimate with him was the last thing on her mind. Charlie was extremely persuasive and the role play that night went far beyond anything that Vivian had ever experienced before. When he eventually left sometime after 3am, Vivian stated he left with the same superior attitude he had always shown towards her. Emotionally drained, in pain and financially ruined, Vivian finally called a friend and together they went to the police. At the police station, I told them everything, how I'd met him on Craigslist, that we'd only known each other a few months, that he had taken money from me and hadn't paid it back, and that I didn't believe he was who he said he was. Despite Vivian's brave attempt at reaching out to the police, the disappointing truth was that at that time, they felt there was just not enough to pursue an investigation. Now, having been both, I can confidently say that the benefit of being a PI over a police officer is that you don't have the tight restrictions on the resources you can put into something. Sure, as PIs we have budgets, but generally our passion alone means we can put over and above the amount of time and dedication into a case, purely because we want to get something solved, and we have a lot more time and resources that we can dedicate to the one job, which, as it transpired was just as well when it came to this case. By the 24th of February 2012, it had been over two weeks since this most recent incident with Charlie. Vivian had been having counselling and was doing her best to keep busy and keep Charlie out of her mind. But Charlie was a parasite and he kept coming back. He had just texted her and told her he was out of prescription drugs again and needed help getting more. He told her where he was and said that he'd be waiting there for the next hour. 
I couldn't get surveillance out there fast enough. Vivian was given strict instructions not to respond to his messages, and we would run the risk of getting an agent out there regardless of her lack of response. Yeah, it didn't take that long to spot him. I mean, he's not much to look at. Uh, Knowing what I know now, I can't believe how many women he had on the go. For us, look, it was a pretty straightforward job. He just sat in his car for a couple of hours. Eventually he left. He looked like he was uh, working as a tradesman, went to several addresses, took his tools with him inside each time and uh, ended up at an apartment complex in Richmond. This apartment complex was an address which Charlie had previously spoken about. It was the Ark Apartments, the complex he had said he was negotiating the purchase of. The whole reason he had claimed to have brought his world-class business negotiation skills to Melbourne. But Charlie wasn't trying to purchase the Ark Apartments. He was living there. But with over 180 individual apartments, trying to confirm his unit number would be near impossible. It was disheartening news. But all wasn't lost. Charlie had been driving a hire car, and to our advantage, the hire company had been thoughtful enough to leave their company logo and contact details on a sticker on the rear window. To be a good investigator requires a whole range of skills. Interview skills, research techniques, surveillance skills, being able to read people and communicate well, pretty good memory, and so much more. But ask any investigator, you also need to have a little bit of luck. And this was mine. Jenny, how may I help you? When I rang the hire company, I could tell the person on the other end of the phone hadn't been working there long. She answered the phone with enthusiasm and was eager to please, the kind of traits which tend to wear off the longer you work in a call centre. But luckily for me, her keenness to help and my experience of asking the right questions, combined with a dose of good fortune, meant it wasn't long before I had the vital piece of information that would change the course of my investigation completely. I had Charlie's real name. The driver of the rental car was no Charlie Giltrap. His real name was Paul Brian Gill. I was about to go to town digging up everything I could on this charismatic piece of pond life. And in doing so... I was about to track him around the globe by his trail of deception and deceit. Next time on Chasing Charlie. Well, this is what happened. You know, I yeah. just got it out. I felt sick the whole time I was with Paul. In my guts, I felt sick the whole time. I didn't even want to be with him the whole time. But I had no way out. The police could never quite, you know, nail him down. But, but how come that is? There's so much wrong he's done. It knew no bounds. No one was off limits. So, what do you do when you're wanted for fraud in New Zealand and terrified of going to prison? You may have come across Paul Gill. He's also known as Paul Johnson, W.D. Bruins, Paul Jackson, Paul Lovelock, Chris Jackson, Gil Thomas, Anthony Carroll, Paul McGill, T.P. McGill, Paul Jenkins and Lance Jenkins. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, leave a review and recommend to another true crime fan. 
Make sure to subscribe to Chasing Charlie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date with the latest instalment. If you have further information on this story, please reach out to us at chasingcharlie at fremantle.com. The content of this podcast is a result of Julia Robson's investigation into Charlie and information provided to her by his victims. Some names have been changed to protect the identities of those involved. Chasing Charlie is a Fremantle Australia production. Executive producers Jesse Klass and Liz Burnett. Series producer Rebecca Vallis. Original concept and writing by Julia Robson. Edited and mixed by James Ezra, with additional editing by Katie Morris. Recording and technical assistance by Alex Elliott. Legal and business affairs by Maddie Marchant. Recording assistance by Brendan Ganey and Tom Lawton, with additional research by Georgina Rain. Stefan Dennis plays the voice of Charlie. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please contact Lifeline on 13114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, or another crisis hotline in your local area. We are grateful for the help of the victims and families involved in creating this podcast. Thank you.